I invite you to turn back to and follow along either in the worship folder or in your copy of God's Word as we listen to Psalm 128. This is a word that's written uh, through human beings, but inspired by God through the Holy Spirit. So I invite you to hear this as the very word of God for us. Happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be happy, and it shall go well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we do pray that in a world in which we see uh, often little peace, we feel little happiness, we pray that you would speak to us through this word and encourage us. And we pray whether uh, the hearts that are here today may be joyful or may be sorrowful in whatever circumstance we find ourselves, may we ultimately hear your care and concern and love for us as we reflect on this word today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to be happy. How many times have you heard that, thought that, or said that? I just want to be happy. Sometimes those words are said as the unassailable justification for drastic life changes, whether they are wise or unwise, whether they are considerate of other people in our lives or the lives of other people or not. Sometimes they are the overflow of a heart that's burdened with sorrow and suffering and loss. There's Independence Hall downtown where 246 years ago our nation's founding fathers or some of them asserted our inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But throughout the history since then and all through history before that also, there's been a lot more pursuing happiness than achieving, accomplishing, or enjoying happiness. If we miss it so often, are we aiming at the wrong target? Or is it even a legitimate aspiration? The Bible actually has a lot to say about the topic of happiness. It is often best captured in language we heard in the, in the Psalm as well, of blessing. And if anything, God's word paints a picture of blessing which is richer and deeper and brighter and more vivid than even our loftiest ideas of happiness. It's like the difference between the postcard of the place that you went to and you send home to family versus actually being on the mountaintop and looking down over lakes and streams and fields before you. Our passage this morning is actually what we could call a mini pursuit of happiness. If you're following along in a Bible, you see that um, there's a little uh, prescript right there at the beginning, and it's called a song of ascents. This would be a psalm that was sung by Israelites as they went on pilgrimage, a spiritual hike to celebrate one of the three great annual festivals at Jerusalem. So Psalm 128 is in many ways like a trail map that gives us the way of happiness, 
how we lose the trail, and then how we find our way back. So first, there's the way of happiness. In the psalm, God lays out basic trail markers for the path of happiness. So first, there's fruitful work. The picture of blessing starts at verse two. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. An especially appropriate passage as we celebrate Labor Day together. Ancient Israelites knew that you can't take this for granted. Drought or disease or locusts could strike any time, could wipe out an entire harvest, which in that situation would mean that you just had to go to a different section of the grocery store to pick out something other than what's not on the empty shelf in front of you, but could literally mean a question of life or death with famine. A good harvest could be pillaged by marauding armies coming through their territory, which was a highway, a crossroads in the ancient world. All too often, one person works only to see no benefit from their labor and see it enjoyed by someone else. And that's not just an ancient phenomenon, right? It's very modern as well. So you have the manager who comes into the department or the executive who comes into the company and does the hard work of getting it turned around and then for whatever reason gets removed or transferred before they get to see the praise or the bonuses or whatever for the work that they have put in. Employees and employers, customers and companies are squeezed by rising prices and declining incomes, which is why we give thanks when We are able to enjoy reward for our work, a reward that in the picture of the psalm is necessary for the next trail marker, which is a fruitful family. Verse three says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. This image is not only one of childbearing, though that's included, but it's also other fruitful contributions to family in the biblical vision. Think of Proverbs 31, Uh, uh, A wife is pictured there who is active in commerce and real estate and providing for her family in many ways. In biblical imagery, the vine metaphor also often includes overtones of both sexual charm and sexual faithfulness. The verse clearly takes the male perspective, and that's probably simply because it would have been Israelite men who overwhelmingly were re- required to attend the festival and would have been the pilgrims who sung this song on the way to Jerusalem. But we can easily and legitimately flip the images for a fruitful husband who is a faithful lover and a engaged present father. The fruitful family includes children who'd be like olive shoots around your table, which is a little bit of a strange image for some of us, but would be a lot more familiar if you were in an agricultural society. And we might think, yeah, it's nice to think that there'd be somebody that would visit us at the nursing home in our later years. But in the ancient world, this was far more critical because at that time, your children were literally your social security, your Medicaid, and the nursing home itself. And then you have this final key to blessing in a fruitful community. Verse five says, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. Verse six, peace be upon Israel. Because without a strong and safe and nurturing community, fruitful work and family are going to be scarce or under constant threat. In Israel, the political and spiritual realms were fused. Uh, We have a little bit more of an obvious disjunction between the two in our society, but both types of community, civil and religious, are crucial to happiness. We can suffer heartache, pain, and loss if either our church or our local 
uh, political community are unhealthy, poorly led, or in turmoil. So we have this vision, these trail markers of fruitful work, family, and community. By marking out the right path for us, God is, in a sense, uh, steering us away from rabbit trails and dead ends and wrong turns that we think will lead to happiness, but that won't or don't. And he does this speaking as our maker and creator who knows us inside and out, who knows us better than we know ourselves, and since he knows us, knows what will genuinely satisfy us. So that's the way, how do we lose the trail? Or there's a variety of ways, right? Anybody who's done hiking knows you can get lost in a variety of ways. There are actually more ways to get lost than there are to you know, stay on the trail and just go the one direction. For some of us, we're simply going the wrong direction. And if this is you, you might read this biblical vision and think, well, that's not super exciting, right? There are other things out there that are just way more interesting than steady work, a loving family, or vital communities. You're distracted by other things that promise happiness. So you listen to these blessings and you think, yeah, but what about my career or my new truck or some fall fashions? Then I would be happy. And None of those are actually emphasized here. Doesn't mean that they're bad. Depending on your job or your family situation, you might actually need to refresh your professional wardrobe or upgrade your vehicle. But what the problem many of us face, reality just looking out on our society, is that we are immersed in a hyper-capitalist economy that often shouts, and if it's not shouting, then it's constantly whispering, acquire. Acquire, acquire. The next thing will really make you happy. In The Devil Wears Prada, Frumpy Anne Hathaway uh, plays the character Andy Sachs, who's working for the major fashion editor Miranda, uh, Miranda Priestley, played by Meryl Streep. And in one exhilarating montage, there's upbeat music playing, and Andy goes from, fr- from frumpy to fashion diva. But then in a later scene, she accidentally encounters Miranda, her boss, in an uncharacteristically unfashionable moment without any of the makeup or the accessories, trying to weather yet another rocky marriage. Miranda looks simply tired and worn out, anything but happy. It's actually what she's experienced, that character's experiencing is very much uh, what a real life individual described um, to the author of the book From Strength to Strength, one of our summer reading books. He describes uh, a number of conversations with a number of individuals, and in one of them in particular, he's speaking with a highly successful woman who recognizes that her career as an executive, high-powered career, is wrecking her marriage and her family and her health. And as they talk, he says, well, you know all the research. These are the simple life things you can do to be happier and healthier. But then she reflects and she simply says, Maybe I just prefer being special to being happy. She was choosing a path. We get lost so often in the pursuit of happiness because we chase it of providing genuine soul-satisfying happiness. And in the image of the psalm, if you think about it, happiness is as simple as a family meal around the table. 
wonderfully egalitarian. You don't have to be at a certain elite level of achievement or in a particular tax bracket to enjoy this vision. But there's a, another sort of rabbit trail that we can go down. We go, what I could say, the right direction, but in the wrong way. So instead of buyer's itch, we get buyer's remorse. You've got the job and the spouse and the kids, and you're thinking, happiness, huh? Uh, sometimes my family's driving me nuts rather than uh, making me particularly joyful. Uh, a few years ago, uh, actually at this point, several years ago, um, we were visiting a church and the pastor was preaching on this particular passage, uh, Psalm 128. And later in the service afterwards, they sang a hymn that was based on it. And there was actually this extra little tagline in the hymn, which isn't in the psalm, which sang about the joys of motherhood. And it just so happened that the congregation was singing that song at the point that Rebecca was bringing Anastasia back to us from a bathroom trip because Anastasia was quite young and she was potty training. Uh, she was very advanced uh, for her age, as all of your children are, I'm sure. Um, and uh, what had happened is Rebecca realized Anastasia asked to go to the bathroom, which is good, but she just did it because she was bored, right? She wanted to go someplace else. And so Rebecca had stood in line and then, then been in there in the bathroom waiting, and then came out, saw the long line of people that had accumulated while they were there. And so as she comes back and hears the congregation singing about the joys of motherhood, she looked like she was either gonna break into tears or throttle somebody. Both were valid options for her at that point. Rebecca just wasn't feeling it, and often we just don't feel it, even if we have all of these things. Here the Bible's saying that Work and spouse and children, civic health, those are blessings and recognizing that it has to tell us that because sometimes we just don't feel it because each of those things carries responsibilities and obligations and that sometimes they're tough, they're hard to plow through. And Psalm 128 doesn't claim otherwise, simply that as hard as they can be, what we have to remember in the midst of that moment is that they are gifts, that they are sources of happiness, even if it doesn't feel like joyfulness every single moment. But then the other, what I could say, wrong turn or, or difficult path is one I might say is one of disappointment, frustration, or discouragement. Because some of us desperately do want these blessings, but we don't have them, or we've lost them, or they may have been taken from us in some way. You long for fruitful work, but you're unemployed or underemployed. The bills accumulate faster than the paychecks. Or you've got a full bank account, but you feel like your work is slowly sucking away your soul. You long for a fruitful family, but you're unhappily single, divorced, or widowed. Maybe intimacy with your spouse is painful and not pleasant or your spouse has cheated, abused, or abandoned you. You have no children or can't have children or have lost children. You long for a fruitful community, but your homeland or your hometown or your home church has no peace, prosperity, stability, or joy. And those moments we ask, why? Why does it feel like God withholds his, his blessings? What's the catch? 
So how do we find our way back? There is a condition that explains why we so often find ourselves off the path of happiness in any of these diverse ways. And it also points for how, to how we can find our way back. The requirement for genuine happiness is found in verses one and four. Verse one states it this way, happy is everyone who fears the Lord. And verse four, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The condition for blessing is fear of the Lord. That's simply shorthand for a right relationship with the God of Israel. Not terror, but honor and reverence. As Moses says in Deuteronomy, um, in passages that we've heard echoes of earlier in the service, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and might. The precondition for a fruitful, blessed, happy life is a fruitful heart toward our creator. If you read the Bible, you see that there's, there's this pattern that occurs again and again and again. God promises blessings for obedience and threatens or warns curse for disobedience. Curse is simply the inverse, the opposite of blessing. So the basic pattern is that obedience leads to blessing, leads to God giving good things and withholding evil things. And then disobedience leads to cursing, which leads to God giving evil things and withholding good things. That's the basic pattern but you have to pay very close attention to this point. So if, you, so, you know, if you're kind of checked out up to this point, like, come back in, all right? Stop wandering off and picking berries on the path. Many, many people make a mistake here. We try to take this general pattern that we learn from God's word, and then we try to reverse engineer it to interpret our own specific circumstances. For example... The song Butterfly Kisses. If you like this song, I apologize, I'm about to eviscerate it. Popular many years ago and still often appearing at um, weddings as dads dance with their daughters. There's this, uh, most of the song is fine, although I think this part recurs in the chorus, where it says, oh, with all that I've done wrong, I must have done something right to deserve a hug every morning and butterfly kisses at night. I'm sorry, but those are terrible lyrics. And I'm not against dads loving their daughters. That's awesome, I'm for that. But the problem is the songwriter has reverse engineered God's hidden purposes. He's reasoning backwards from individual experience and he's saying, sure, I mess up sometimes, but God gave me this sweet little daughter, so I must have done something right. I must have deserved this somehow. What happens when you do that and you start applying it to other people and yourself? You become a really intolerable person to be around, right? If it's gonna make you a really terrible counselor, right? Because somebody tells you, hey, I'm struggling with these really bad things going on in my life, your default answer is gonna be, oh, you must have done something wrong. Let's figure out what you're doing wrong so you can fix it. Or it will make you self-righteous. Wow, good things are happening to me. I must have my act together. God must be on my side and pretty happy with me. Or the opposite, it might make us be crushed, right? Bad things are unfolding in my life, so it must be my fault. God must be displeased with me, frowning upon me. 
But instead, the Bible says, actually, across many, many Psalms, Paul summarizes them in the book of Romans, but he's quoting Psalm after Psalm after Psalm, which essentially says, none of us has a fruitful heart. We all fail the condition of blessing. We don't fear God, and that's why our pursuits of happiness fail. That's why we chase false promises of dead-end happiness goals, and why we take for granted or we overlook genuine sources of happiness that he does give. And that's why we live in a not-right world under God's curse with so many desires thwarted and frustrated. All of us deserve God's curse, not Psalm 128, but it's opposite. That radically changes the questions that we ask. Because then we go from asking, why has God withheld his blessing, to why does God withhold his curse? Why do any good things? That's the great mystery revealed in the person of Jesus that we celebrate every week. He was the one perfect son of God, the perfect human being, and in all of human history, he's the only one who ever truly feared God and whose heart was always fruitful toward him. The only one of whom God himself said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Of all the people who have or ever will walk the face of the earth, he could legitimately say, I deserve blessing. I deserve happiness. I deserve a fruitful life. But read the Gospels. Was that the story of Jesus? It's the very opposite. His later years, he had to rely on the support of other people to support a itinerant preaching ministry. He was single. He had no wife to comfort him in that work. He had no child of his own. And as he approached the capital of his city, he looked upon the future of his nation and knew that his country was gonna be devastated by destruction. And that the temple, the heartbeat, and the center of the worship of his people is gonna be devastated and destroyed. And for himself, the work called, that God called him to do was to preach people who would largely reject him and ultimately respond by crucifying him. And then on the cross, to feel spiritually the complete forsakenness of God's judgment against human sin and discontent. The one who deserved blessing was cursed, so that we who deserve curse might be blessed. The one who deserved to be happy voluntarily assumed an unhappy life and a hellishly miserable death so that we might be lifted out of misery into joy. That's the cosmic U-turn that puts those who follow Jesus back into the way of happiness despite our wrong turns and wanderings. And as millions around the globe worship Jesus as we do here today, God has turned the seeming futility of the cross into the most fruitful labor of life in all of human history. As I mentioned before, this is a song of ascent, a pilgrim song, a mini pursuit of happiness in itself, a picture of our earthly journey for our heavenly destination of Zion, the new Jerusalem, a city established by God 
through the death, resurrection, and lordship of Jesus. There, disobedience and curse and frustration will one day be no more because happiness, prosperity, and peace are the vision that you give us. And we thank you for the ways in which we do taste elements of it in our lives. I do pray that through fear of you, we might be comforted when we don't enjoy different elements of this vision. And I thank you that ultimately, through Jesus, we can look forward to a new creation where we will work in your presence and we'll enjoy the fruitfulness of participating in your creation. We will be happy and it will go well with us. We will gather together with brothers and sisters from every nation, tribe, and tongue and we will celebrate the one truly blessed man, Jesus, who does not uh, withhold or be stingy with the gifts that he has received, but shares them freely and openly with us. We thank you and praise you for him in his name. Amen.